I'm Kimberly Amici. Welcome to the Build Your Best Family podcast. This is a practical show to help you imagine, plan, and build your best family. We believe that the secret to having a happy family is not being perfect, but having purpose. Each week, I'll be sharing with you lessons I've learned and conversations I've had that will help you become who you want to be together. Hey there, today we're talking about how to prevent jealousy among siblings. Envy and jealousy are natural responses to the human tendency to compare ourselves to others. But when left unchecked, when we allow these to fester and hold on to them, these feelings can cause problems within our family. Left to grow over a long period of time, they can cause sibling rivalries and broken relationships that continue way into adulthood. Now, I don't know about you, but that is definitely not what I want for my future family and for my kids. I don't want family gatherings to be at the mercy of who's not talking to who, because when that happens, everyone loses. Now, in our home, I often see jealousy manifest itself in sibling conflict. I see it in the kids bickering and fighting with one another. I even see it in them rejecting us, disobeying us, and being rebellious. By getting rid of jealousy, I'm pretty sure we will create more peace and unity in our home, and who doesn't want that? Now, as parents, we are responsible for creating culture in our home, and there are actually a few things that we can do in our home that can prevent a culture of jealousy and competition from taking root. Now, I did a little research and a quick Google search told me that there was a difference between envy and jealousy. Now, they're often interchanged, and I know that I've done that, but they're actually not the same thing. Envy occurs when we wish we had something that someone else has, like skills, connections, or other resources. Jealousy, on the other hand, occurs when we are afraid of losing an important relationship, such as with a parent, a sibling, or a friend. And it also has to do with losing the status of a relationship that you once had. The most common example of this is when a new sibling joins the family. Now, reading this, understanding the distinction between these two was like a light bulb moment for me. What I understand about jealousy is that number one, it's rooted in fear. And number two, it's all about relationships. And knowing this is exciting because what this does is it allows us to prevent it and to better respond to it when we see that it's rearing its ugly head in our family. With this knowledge, we can create an environment in our home that fosters secure relationships with our kids, as well as our kids with each other. Now, for starters, there are two things that we should not do if we are trying to prevent jealousy within our family. Now, I don't think that you'll be surprised by these. These are common things that many people do. In fact, they're things that I do, and they're worth mentioning because I have to remind myself not to do them. And I will if I'm not careful. Number one is don't compare your kids to each other. Now, I get why there's a tendency to do this, but it doesn't produce the unity that we want to see in our families. You know, each of our children has unique gifts and talents. They were not created to be just like each other. They're not carbon copies. And even for kids that have similar attributes, they express them and live them out in different ways. So why are we comparing them? If we consistently compare them to their siblings, it's going to have a negative impact on them. They're going to get into the habit of comparing themselves to others. And comparison steals joy. They may start to believe lies about themselves. They may take it out on their siblings. They may quit something they love or even develop an attitude of pride or superiority about it. 
Sometimes comparison shows up in how we label our kids. So I'm not talking about the labels that God gives us, like being loved, cherished, more than a conqueror, or fearfully and wonderfully made. I'm referring to, this is the pretty one, and this is the smart one, or they're athletic, and they're kind of clumsy, or she's shy, and he's outgoing. Kids hear these things, they hear the things that we speak over them, and eventually they own them. And as adults, we don't want to be boxed in and limited by the labels that other people give us. So let's not do that to our kids. Number two, don't play favorites. Now, I know there are going to be seasons when you're going to be closer to one of your children than others because of simply their availability or their proximity to you. You may have children that are easier to get along with than others. And that's natural. However, if we allow things to stay this way, if we allow things to stay imbalanced, we may find our children getting their feelings hurt and eventually acting out. But the exciting thing is that there are things that we can do to prevent this. There are five things that I'm going to share with you today. Now, keep in mind what we talked about earlier about what jealousy is. It is the fear of losing our relationship. Number one, parent to your child's unique personality. Gary Chapman wrote a book called The Five Love Languages, and he originally wrote it for married couples. However, he has a version for kids as well. Now, the basic premise for his book, if you don't know it, is that there are five ways that we give and receive love. The five ways are quality time, words of affirmation, touch, gifts, acts of service. Each of us actually has a different love language, a different way that we feel loved. So what happens sometimes is that we will love our children in a particular way, typically the way that comes natural for us, and we forget that maybe that's not the way that they feel loved. You may think that you're loving them, you're doing all the right things, but they don't actually think so because you're trying to love them in a way that doesn't make them feel loved. Now, if you happen to have the same love language as one of your kids, that's fantastic, but it's unlikely that you will have the same love language as all of your kids. And sometimes children may notice there's an opportunity for there to be a misconception of the love that's being given in the home because they see their sibling getting love. Meanwhile, their needs aren't getting met. When we take the time to understand our kids and when we take the time to understand how it is that they feel loved, we can start to go out of our way and sometimes even out of our comfort zone to love them in the way that they need. Now, my love language is touch. I tend to want to hug my kids, put my arms around them, and kiss them. And this worked out well when they were young. But guess what? They're teenagers now, and it's not working out so well. So I've got to come out of my comfort zone, and I've got to figure out what it is that they need in this season. Now, when your kids were, are young, definitely do all the things that I mentioned. The quality time, encouraging them, hugging them, kissing them, giving them gifts, doing all the things. And then as they get older, you'll start to figure out what their love language is. You'll start to figure out the things you do that they respond to more. And you know what? If you can't figure it out, just ask them. At our yearly family retreat, we ask our kids what makes them feel the most love. And even though they roll their eyes because they've answered the question the year before, we still want to know because sometimes that answer changes a little bit from year to year. Sometimes it stays the same, but that's just an opportunity for us to reaffirm them. Doing this, finding out their unique personality and how we can love them allows us to customize how we interact with them, how we work with them, how we respond to them, and even how we discipline them. Number two, 
cultivate a one-on-one relationship with each of your children. So this just means developing a unique relationship with your children one-on-one and not necessarily as a group. When my kids were young, I'd often do things with all three of my kids and it was fun, but I lumped them together. And even though we did a lot of family things together, and I was constantly, felt like I was constantly with my kids, they began competing for my time and my attention. And as a young mom of three, I felt like it was extremely hard to give them what they needed. So when my oldest was in second grade, I started taking my kids out to a monthly lunch. I would go to their school, I'd sign them out, we'd go out for lunch, I'd bring them back. And that was their time that they could count on to have one-on-one time with me. This was a non-negotiable for us, and it actually still is a non-negotiable for us. It looks different because they're older now, but we still do it. And it's gone a long way in helping me develop relationships with each one of my children. When we develop one-on-one relationships, we affirm our love for them as well as their worth and their value in our eyes. And as this happens over time, they are less likely to worry about their siblings and being jealous of them. Another thing that I did to cultivate one-on-one relationships, which was really fun, was to do a back-and-forth journal. I would write something in a journal, I'd ask them a few questions, say a few things, and then I'd drop the journal off in their room, and then they would take a few days and they would write back to me. They would ask me questions, share what's on their heart. And I found that these conversations were really neat because they were unique to them, unique to our relationship. Plus, it gave them an opportunity to talk about things that they normally wouldn't bring up in person. It created something really special between us. So no matter how you choose to establish and cultivate a one-on-one relationship with each of your children, I encourage you to be intentional about how you're going to do it, when you're going to do it, and how often you're going to do it. The key here is consistency, and I would suggest that you find a way that is simple and sustainable. Number three is give your kids the opportunity to work together. Working together creates a culture that says we're in this together. By doing this, I believe that kids will see that they are a part of something bigger than themselves. They'll start to see themselves as an integral part of your family. We love to host family get-togethers, and when we do, we make sure that everyone has a job to do. Everyone pitches in, no one gets off the hook, and everyone has a part to play. Working together is great for family projects, outdoor chores too. I am always on the lookout for things that my kids can do together. Even if the job doesn't require multiple people, just going through the motions of working together and knowing that the work that they do matters builds their relationship together and builds their relationship with their family. Number four, foster open communication. Number four, foster open communication. Just like in an organization, it's important to provide a place for everyone's voice to be heard. It may come naturally for some kids to speak up and voice their opinions. And in most cases, the squeaky wheel gets the oil. The one who is the most proactive in sharing their feelings, they get responded to and typically get their way. But there are also kids that don't speak up. And when this happens, it creates an opportunity for resentment to build up among the siblings that don't speak up, that don't get their voices heard. And it can be upsetting. They can begin to believe that their voice doesn't matter or even that everyone is against them. But there's ways that you can prevent this. 
In our home, weekly family meetings or our yearly family retreat give everyone an opportunity to come to the table and to share what they're thinking, what they're feeling, and to give feedback on how we're doing. Doing this consistently establishes security and trust, and that security and trust eliminates jealousy. Also, when it comes to communication, explanations of why you do what you do is really, really helpful. Sometimes kids make assumptions about the choices that we make, about the roles we have, but when we share what our values are, what our purpose is as a family, and what we see in them, it changes everything. They'll become more confident that we love them and that we're building something amazing together. I always like to over-communicate affection and praise as well. It's so important to recognize the good stuff that we see in our children and not just their accomplishments, but who they are and who they're becoming. When choosing what we're going to say to our kids, consider what it is that you want them to know, what you want them to feel, because it's these emotions that you stir up within them by the words that you say that actually will move them into action, and we can move them into positive action. Number five, which is one of my favorites, is create systems and standards for the choices that you make within your family. What I love about systems and standards is that they eliminate the tendency to favor one child over the other or the appearance of favoring one child over the other. For example, when it comes to the money that we spend on our family, we've created a system. We've created a list of things that we will buy for our kids and a list of things that they are responsible for purchasing on their own with the money that they've earned from commissioned jobs around the house, landscaping, shoe cleaning, and babysitting. Now, one of the reasons that I did this was because when they were young, I really struggled with making decisions about what child should I say yes to and what child I should say no to when it came to purchasing things. My decisions were typically based on what kind of day I was having or on which of my kids was easiest to deal with, which wasn't a great way to make decisions. This pattern of favoritism, or at least the perception of it, created problems. But once we established a system, it took all the guesswork out of it. It was a lot less stressful. And so when the kids wanted to buy something, all I had to do was say, check the list. Another example of a great system to have is chores. We have a list of chores, a list of things that everyone's responsible for, and it gets rotated. All of the decisions have already been made ahead of time. The oldest doesn't get stuck with the toughest jobs or whoever happens to be home doesn't get stuck with all the work. Or chores aren't used as a punishment. Whenever we're frustrated with a child, we don't give them extra work. And most importantly, the kids know what's expected of them. They don't have to walk around on eggshells and wonder who's going to get the good jobs and who's going to get the bad jobs. Some of you may be listening to this and say, yeah, I think I've contributed to the jealousy that my kids are feeling. Don't be discouraged because all this means is that you now have the ability to make small changes that can help you have a huge impact on your family. You're never going to eliminate totally the feelings of jealousy that your kids may have. Even if you get it all right, your kids may still have feelings of jealousy, a perceived imbalance of time, love, attention, or affection. But because we have an understanding of what jealousy really is, that fear of losing an important relationship, we're better able to identify the root of it and make some changes instead of dismissing it or being annoyed by it, which I have to admit I've done in the past. So today I want to challenge you to pick one thing that you can do from this list, one place that you can start today that will have the greatest impact on your family and apply it. 
Is it parenting to your child's unique personality, cultivating a one-on-one relationship with them, giving the kids opportunity to work together, communicating more, or simply creating a system and putting it into practice? And then I want to hear about it. Why did you pick this one thing and what are the changes that you'd like to see? You can comment on one of our Instagram posts about this podcast, or you can join the conversation in the Build Your Best Family Facebook group. If you want to dig deeper into what we've talked about on the podcast each week, check out the Build Your Best Family Facebook group. It's where we hang out with some fabulous women to practice what we've learned. There's also encouragement, group coaching, and incredible resources there too. Remember, family culture is not about perfect, it's about purpose.